Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey Sampson. And I'm Davey Blackburn, and we have such a great episode for you today. In fact, oh, we it's do? one that I think I mean, we have not really talked about this much, Aubrey. I was thinking that we haven't, have we? I know. And so this is going to be an interesting discussion. Honestly, here's the thing. There are times, guys, that Aubrey and I discuss, hey, what do we want to talk about on the mm-hmm. back end of this as we kind of color and commentate on this, mm-hmm. this conversation? And on this one, here's what we've decided. We're just going to hit record and not discuss it at all. And we're just <laughs> going to see what so kind of dangerous. comes, what emerges out of it. So you're going to want to stick around afterwards after this Definitely. conversation. But first, you're going to have to listen to my interview with Carly Tice Cleveland. She is, man, just, a, I mean, a really rich voice in this space. Yeah. She, she yeah. really brought some new perspective into my thoughts. I think I had a very dogmatic opinion about this mm. for quite a bit. And then she brought some nuance that was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I need to consider that, which is why I love doing conversations like this. But Carly is a blogger, a jewelry designer, a podcaster, and a ministry leader. She's the director of Real Truth Ministries, a nonprofit organization, and she's a state certified sexual assault counselor. Wow. Um, And so what Real Truth Ministry does, Real Truth Ministries, it provides sexual assault care trainings and other proactive anti-sexual assault trainings for mm. churches, pastors, mm. leaders, and so on, which um, it, this is very timely. Um, I was given so much that is that. taken place in some of the news cycle, especially with the yeah. Southern Baptist Convention. Yep. And so, wow, this is a loaded. I mean, we might have a whole separate podcast episode on the outro of this, Aubrey, where we're discussing. Yeah, we this actu- because we of actually how much might. Right, how timely this is and because of how much there is to discuss right now. Because of the nature yeah. of this episode, we should let our listeners know that it, because she does frankly discuss abuse, right. um, it, it, you know, it may be triggering for some of you or for little ears if you've got little ears in the car or in the kitchen or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, so just be mindful of that. Yeah. I still think we listen. Like, I still think we enter in and we don't shy away from some of these painful stories. But I think just be aware of where you are before the Lord and the little ears that are around you. Right. Because uh, right. there may be things you don't want them to to know yet and maybe some things that your heart isn't ready to hear yet. Yeah. But I think this is going to be a... We're going to have a good discussion about this, biblical purity and yeah. abuse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me say this, too, as just a little bit of a caveat to this entire episode. Um, the, the release of this as of right now, we are in the middle of my late wife's jury trial in the release of this. So if you're listening to this in real time, I'm assuming what is happening is that we are spending the week in a courtroom. Now I say that with a caveat. I don't, I don't know because last time in December, when this was originally scheduled, we were 30 minutes before it started and it got pushed. It it, it was really this trial, which we've talked all all about that on the podcast, but, Mm -hmm. but I also know that I'm aware of the fact that um, when everything happened, this became something that was very high profile in the news cycle. This could also be something that is very high profile mm-hmm. during the trial in the news cycle as well. So you may be a brand new listener to this podcast. Yeah, and just point. because you're kind of tuning in or you're cluing, cluing in. Mm-hmm. And first of all, we want to say welcome. Yes. Uh, we're, we're grateful so glad and glad here. that you're here. Um, and 
and there's so many episodes that you can go back and listen to. It might be really helpful for you to go back and listen to, to starting at the beginning, episode one, where I had a conversation with Amanda's father, so my father-in-law, and we yeah. and, and you'll hear some of the inspiration behind this podcast. But really what we're trying to do is we're trying to share stories of people who are going from pain to purpose. We know that pain paralyzes us more than anything in this life. The enemy wants yeah. to use it to neutralize us so right. that we're not effective for the kingdom of God. And so what what we want to do is just share inspiring stories of people who are walking through difficult valleys and trials and who are emerging uh, triumphant. The Lord has mm-hmm. shown up in their pain and they're emerging with this renewed sense of purpose and mission to help other people out of their pain. And so that's what the Nothing Is Wasted podcast is all about. Carly Tice Cleveland happens to be one of those stories in the midst yeah. of all of the stories that we're sharing here. So I just, just to give you a little bit of a clue in, you're kind of stepping in like That's in medias ray in some ways, right? In the middle <laughs> right. of the action. Right. And, and we've, there's been so many times that this trial has been pushed that we've d- decided we can't program around this. We can't try mm. to, so you're just coming in and you're sitting in on conversations in the middle of everything. And so we, yeah. we want to welcome you. Now, if the trial for whatever reason hasn't happened, then you can disregard this altogether. Maybe. Oh man, maybe, Davey, I'm um, praying it does happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you're just maybe you needed to hear that because you are a new listener. I don't yep. know, but maybe so. Uh, anyways, so so that's that's kind of my two cents as we get started. But also, yeah, that's good. Uh, we'll, we'll stick around. You, we want to invite you to stick around afterwards as we discuss this conversation I have with Carly Cleveland. So go ahead and listen to this. Carly, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yes, I'm so excited to be here today. Um, you know, I, I know we were just kind of talking a little bit before we hit record. And, um, you know, there's some people's stories that are very um, sensitive and just very, uh, and yet it's this, it's the thing that so many people are, are struggling with and dealing with. And it's so prevalent, but oftentimes it's not talked about. And I feel like that is, in some effects, the case for your story. You know, it's something that... It's so it's so so reoccurring all over around us, and yet it, the the enemy likes to keep it so hidden. And so, you know, I'm I'm honored that we get to walk through this conversation uh, together. But I, I'm I'm really anticipating how God is going to use this conversation, how He's going to use you to intercept people in their stories. Um, so, just thank you for spending some time and getting raw and vulnerable with us. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, before we dive into your story, just tell us a little bit about you. What, what do you do? Where do you live? Uh, give us just a little bit of um, understanding of your present context, and then we'll dive back into your story. Yeah, I live in Southern Utah, and I am the executive director and the founder of The Real Truth Ministries, and we're a nonprofit charitable organization. We provide sexual assault care trainings and other kind of proactive um, sexual assault awareness trainings for churches, pastors, schools, leaders. And a lot more now, we're kind of opening up to parents and kids and a lot of people so we can just really proactively fight against these issues. And then I'm also a state certified sexual assault counselor. And then I'm uh, I'm almost married for two years. And yeah, we're just figuring out the newlywed life living out here. Yeah. Oh, newlyweds. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So fun. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, And, you know, I've not been to Utah, been to very varying places around Utah. I just hear it's absolutely gorgeous. It is. So are you in a part of Utah that's just like breathtaking? 
Yeah, I feel like when you live here for a while, you get a little bit over it. But we live pretty close to Zion National Park, which people, that's a big winner. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Isn't that the case everywhere, right? We tell our kids that all the time. Everywhere we travel, we get, you know we go to Colorado a few times a year and different places. And, and they're like, I wish we lived here. And, and we're like, guys, if you lived there, you wouldn't appreciate it. Yeah. So we kind of try to use the fact that we live in flatlands of Indiana with nothing but cornfields to our advantage and say, hey, let's go visit all these really cool places. So we'll have to make it out to Utah sometime. Visit Zion National Park. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Definitely. Well, listen, I I know that a lot of what you do, and this is very much the case of what we talk about on this podcast a lot is, is uh, leveraging your own pain and using it, turning around for purpose and obviously sharing with us what you do. It, there's a thread of that that goes back to what you've endured, as well as when you began to talk to other people about what you've endured, the response that you received in that. And so I, I would just love to hear a little bit of your story, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of walk through that and, and, and see what God's been teaching you through that and what ultimately your passion is to help other people in their understanding of these types of situations. Definitely. Right. So... I experienced sexual abuse myself, and so when I was a kid, I think I was around 16 when I got into a relationship, and it was kind of a long-distance relationship, but we were both very, very ingrained in the purity culture, like church kid culture, like good church kids, and so really kids our age and in our group, not our age, but in the specific group we were in, there wasn't a lot of dating because it was this purity culture kind of movement, and so it was like you were friends, but you were dating, and that's kind of what happened. And I think, unfortunately, with a lot of those relationships, people didn't set up good boundaries. They didn't really have skills to have good relationships because we were kind of writing it off as not really, we're not really dating, we're not really boyfriend and girlfriend. And so I had no awareness for what red flags were, for what signs of abuse were. And so it was a total normal relationship, not totally, but for about a year, it seemed pretty normal and like almost healthy, I would say. And then a year into it, I think on my side, it became very codependent and then it became abusive and um, sexually abusive. And so it was very difficult to navigate in that space of not understanding a correct biblical lens of sex and relationships and purity because purity culture was telling us this, you know, like if you have any kind of physical um, affection with someone or if you kiss somebody or if these things happen to you, then your worth is somehow devalued or you're degraded. And so I was trying to navigate that as someone who was like, I didn't want these things to happen, but they did. And so does that just mean that I'm not valuable anymore? What does it mean? in this relationship, and it was kind of the cycle of abuse, like you want to help someone and you want to fix them and try to get them to a place where they're not struggling and not harming you, and then just that cycle starts and it ends up happening again and again, and so I was stuck in that cycle for quite a while, and we both Mm. um, were a part of a Christian organization for quite a while, and when I eventually ended up having to go to the leaders of that institution, and letting them know what had happened, which I tried so hard for so long not to do, but I eventually had to. Uh, they were, they did not receive it in the way that I thought they would, and very un, just not well. It was not good, not healthy, not healthy for the 
you know, as myself coming to them and trying to explain to them the abuse that had happened. And so yeah. it was really difficult to try to understand as somebody who loved Jesus and loved the church, why yeah. the body of Christ was not acting like Jesus, even though they were saying they represent him. And so that was really difficult to understand. And I guess I left out this uh, kind of crucial part of the story. When I ended up confronting the leadership and kind of letting them know what had happened, the person I was in a relationship who had abused me denied everything that happened. So that just added another step mm -hmm. of complexity. And it was right. very much like, we really would like you to leave. And we really want to keep this under wraps. We don't want this to get out. Just kind of the typical, mm -hmm. typical story that you hear as far as that goes. And so, yeah, that, that was just a lot to try to figure out and a lot of deconstruction that happened of my faith trying to wrestle with yeah. that. Um, how do you be a part of the church when the church doesn't look like Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Carly, I'm so sorry that you um, had to walk through that. And, um, and, and I'm so sorry that you were, when you came forward, I mean, that's a very courageous thing to come forward about that. Um, when you're thinking that it's supposed to be with a, safe, trusted community, and then to not be received in that way. Um, I hate that you had to, to endure that. Um, you know, out of, just out of curiosity, if you feel comfortable sharing this, um, you said that it, the response was definitely not what you thought it would be in terms of when you came forward about it. And, you know, obviously <clears throat> I'm a former pastor, I guess you, I'd still call myself somewhat of a pastor. I kind of teach all over the, the country and stuff, but I'm interacting with pastors all the time. And we're talking about policies and we're talking about work environments. And we're talking about cultures and we're talking about like, what do we do to create a safe space for, you know, that's in the conversation. And yet there's so many people who don't know how to, I'm curious how specifically did you, how did they respond that was different than what you thought? And what would you have wanted them to do? You know, coming from someone who was a, a victim in that situation, what would you have liked to see the church do? Can you paint kind of a picture for us on, you know, the contrast of this, how they respond and what would you have liked to see them do? Hmm. I think really, I just didn't have a context to understand that this was kind of something that typically happened in secular communities and Christian communities that unfortunately this happens a lot where someone is harmed and they let the, you know, especially within domestic violence or sexual abuse. And for me, it was sexual abuse and letting the leader or pastor or whoever is in charge of their organization or church or school know what happened and them saying either you need to leave. We're not talking about this. This must have been your fault. I just really didn't know that that was, I wasn't really aware that, sexual abuse was such a huge problem. I didn't know. And I didn't even, wouldn't have even known to call it that for myself. And so I kind of just thought that it would be really hard and, you know, like we would all make it through it and maybe this person could get the help that they really needed. But I just didn't think there would be any backlash for it because I just didn't understand why there would be. It just seemed like this is a problem. We need to fix it and, and we can all work together to do that. And so I just didn't understand. And I think it was very hard to hear, especially from women in leadership positions who I was going to and talking to, just the things that they, they also didn't understand. And I always want to make clear when I talk about my story that 
I don't think any of these people that I'm referring to as far as like leadership or people who made these decisions had any malicious intent to cause harm. I think they just really didn't have the tools and were not properly equipped to care for survivors of sexual abuse. And so I know that they didn't mean to cause so much harm, but especially talking to women, it was just like, well, if this happened, you probably did something to deserve it. Or the other response was, well, we just don't believe you because why would this person who is so charismatic and fun and we really enjoy, why would they do something like this? And so um, I think just having, having leaders who take you seriously and who listen and just take steps to help you understand that if you've endured trauma or abuse, especially sexual abuse, it's not something that you've done. And that was something that I've wrestled with for a long time, trying to understand that it wasn't something that I caused. And so that would have been a huge, huge step um, in healing spiritually and healing emotionally, healing with the church. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of continuing with that thought, um, that often that that's the the pattern of belief, the lie that can creep into your you know your heart and your mind when you are you're a victim of sexual assault or or really any kind of um, sexual or any kind of assault, sexual abuse, you know, um, maybe not sexual. It, it it can lead to this pattern that says, I mean, I must be the problem. It must be my fault. I've done something or I've put myself in a situation that I, sh- I shouldn't have, right? And can heap on a lot of shame. And so I'm sure that that really um, inhibits a lot of even the healing process. Can you talk to me about, you know, what, what kind of happened afterwards? Uh, give me a little bit of a pathway that you took or that you were led on to begin to untangle this and begin to, you know, start, first of all, healing from this, you know, before you even become an advocate for uh, this kind of a situation, how did, how did this look for you personally, Carly, to heal from this? I think that we often in our faith communities and our understanding of Jesus and healing, we get really confused about healing and restoration. And we think that everything that we had before will just be restored to us again. And it's like, I think in the story of Job, that's that's kind of what we think when we look at it, but that's not really what happens. Like Job didn't get the same things restored to him. He got other things given to him and gifted by God's kindness. And so that's what I was kind of expecting. Like everything will go back to normal. And in this process, I had mm. lost a lot of friends and a lot of people that were super important in my life. But it, this division over what had happened and people choosing one side or choosing not to take a side or just not wanting to acknowledge the situation because it was uncomfortable and they didn't know how to, it really destroyed a lot of relationships. And so I thought that it would just be like, okay, I'm ready to heal and things would come back. And obviously that's not how it works. So I got really frustrated with that. And I think that I really had, like I was talking about just that, I don't know if you want to call it deconstruction. I know people don't love that or some people do, but just this process of saying, what is my faith? What do I actually believe? Because I really need to evaluate this because I love Jesus, but I don't, want to be a part of this group that says they follow Jesus and they don't, and they treat people who are hurting and broken like this. And so I just had to really walk through a lot of evaluating my beliefs and where my beliefs come from. And I think I didn't do a great job of it, honestly, because I was really concerned about people's 
perception of me, which I shouldn't have been. I should have been concerned with what what path of healing God had me on and um, making sure that the things that I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but just making sure that my beliefs were were bringing me back to the Lord and not focusing so much on myself, I guess. And so yeah. it was a long process of sitting a lot of times in church and just saying, I don't even know if I believe this. <laughs> like if people only knew what I was thinking, yeah. I don't even know if I, yeah. if I believe what is happening here. But luckily I was able to leave the organization that I was a part of when all of that abuse had happened and the leadership mm. and everything. And so I ended up going to a really awesome church in Southern California and I was an intern at this church and it was for this global outreach team and God just opened my heart and my mind to understanding so many things about the global church and through that process helping me understand how the body of Christ can really advocate for one another and be the voice Mm -hmm. for the voiceless um, within the body of Christ outside of the body of Christ just really taking a stand for people who are facing pain and trauma or are facing oppression or different things. And it really helped me get the focus off of myself and on back onto other people and onto what God was leading me into next. And eventually that just became really focusing on how can I make sure that this does not happen to other people? Like I want to do everything in my power to make sure that people have the proper tools, that people have the proper education, that when someone comes to them and explains this, that they can help them heal in a godly and biblical way that reflects Jesus and doesn't Mm. hide things. If you ask people now why there's so much deconstruction happening, there's not many people that will tell you that it's because they heard, you know, a great argument on apologetics from an atheist. It's because the body Mm. of Christ isn't, isn't really being the body of Christ. And that's frustrating to people and it should be. But I think that, we really need to help people be that for the hurting specifically and not pretend that we don't know what's going on, but address it head on and say, this is not right. This is not what Christ died for. This is not what Christ came for. This is not the example that he showed us. He showed us truth and love and making sure that we expose darkness. And so another part of that is just wanting to proactively fight against it, not just caring for survivors, but making sure that from every angle we're fighting this so that it's not happening. Yeah, man, that's so good. You bring up several really good points right there, Carly. You know, um, first of all, here's what I kind of hear in your story, which absolutely makes me, you know, it, it, it's, um, it affirms why you walked through somewhat of a deconstruction of your faith. But, you know, I'm hearing you say like, okay, first my faith was basically hinged on this community, this group of people who are the body of Christ, which I think is many of our stories, right? Like that's how we first come to know Christ is through other people. And so it's, it seems so inextricably tied together that that is where our hope is in Jesus. Yeah, we say that, but our hope is really in these people that brought us to Jesus or that created this environment for us to come to know Jesus. And then all of a sudden something happens that that goes awry that causes us to lose faith in those people. And so therefore we can easily begin to lose faith in Jesus because they've been so tied together. So then you said, okay, I went back and I started going, I've got to figure this out for myself, right? Call it what you want. You want to call it deconstruction, call it, you know, just making your, your faith personal. I I think that if I can put a pause right there for a second, 
I think there is such a deconstructionist movement of people walking away from the faith, which is sad and why a lot of people are like uh, hesitant to even use that term deconstruction. I heard it in your own voice, like, well, I don't know if I want to say this or not, you know, this deconstruction, but, but it's really, it, it, it is deconstructing what, uh, what we thought faith was right. And, and, and it being misplaced and going, no, this really, we're really supposed to have faith in this person, Jesus, who's never going to fail us, never going to abuse us, never going to disappoint us, never going to, right? And then what I heard you say is, but I couldn't stay just kind of focusing on me personally. I had to then turn that out, right? Because if I got too focused on just my faith, my faith, my faith, and just kind of inwardly focused, it was going to lead to something that was going to be unhealthy, self-absorbed. So how do I turn this out now and actually be the heart of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus, the way that... I, somebody was not for me and advocate for somebody else. This is amazing. When you look at this framework, Carly, like the story, your, your story provides us a framework that says, this is, this is really almost everybody's journey, regardless of your story. And this is why we're wrestling so much with what does it look like to put our hope and trust in Jesus? And yet the body of Christ doesn't seem to be reflecting that appropriately and why people are leaving the body of Christ in droves. And, and it's like, come on, we've got to figure out a way to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just say that we are right. Um, I think, I think it's just really profound what you're saying right now, because I think it reflects so many people's journeys. I think even now in kind of in this different phase of my life that I'm in now, and a lot of the things that I'm doing are still just, not deconstructing, not like I am questioning my faith or questioning God or his character anymore, but still trying that process of just asking myself, why do I believe this thing? Like it's a, it's a Christian value. It's this thing that informs my life and my decisions, but where does it even come from in scripture? Like if I have such a strong opinion about this Mm -hmm. thing, I really should know at least one Bible reference, but probably this overarching story that scripture paints about this issue. And so that's, that's still a big part of, of this process. And so I just encourage people who are going through that, whatever you want to call it, questioning, deconstruction, evaluating your faith. Um, I heard, I think it was Guy Jatani talked about, he, he explained it as a process of just separating your beliefs from politics and separa- separating your beliefs from people mm-hmm. and your family and just seeing what does this look yeah. like separate from those things and why, why do I have them? And just making sure that if you believe right. the Bible literally, then that is your final authority, and that's what you're going back to and testing it against and just making sure of those yeah. things. Because like you said, I was, it really did hinge on people and reputations, and especially growing up, my heart was just so saturated in legalism. Like just, just the yeah. way, I don't even want to blame it on like the church culture or, or the group that I was a part of. A lot of us struggled with that, but especially for myself, it was just like, making sure that I looked good and I played the part and I got, you know, got the roles that you were supposed to get in youth group and camp counselor and those things. And then when this happened, it felt like I was on the other side of that. And I was in the position opposite that I had been before, because before I was looking down on others, like if only your faith was as good as mine and this, if only you were as good of a kid and those things. And then it felt opposite. Like it felt like people are judging me or they don't believe me or they think this is my fault. And I felt what it was like to be on the other side of that. And that really helped propel this as well to say, how can I first just resemble Jesus more? Because that is not a Jesus, a Christ-like attitude, but also how can I have empathy for others and, and also help us all realize that 
whatever our story is, we're all so broken and needing of Jesus and needing of his redemption and love and forgiveness and freedom. And so we just need to get on the same page with that. Yeah, Carly, right now I'm reading this book called A Critical Journey, which is, it's a book that our coaching director for Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, he referred me to. And it's out of my own kind of like, in some ways, existential crisis that we're coming as a pastor, kind of leaving the local church ministry, but also serving alongside the local church and watching all of these you know, different local church pastors and stuff, it feels like over the past, you know, five, 10 years, some of these moral failures and falls and kind of all the stuff that is creating a lot of this conversation as well with people where they're beginning to ask, you know, questions about things. And unfortunately, I, I feel like what ends up happening, as, as you in some ways stated earlier, is that we can, we tend to pin it on the wrong things. We pin the problem on the wrong things. It's like, oh, the problem is large churches, mega churches, or the problem is small churches. It's like, no, it, that's not the problem. The problem is people who are not reflecting the character and heart of Jesus. It doesn't matter if it's a large church, a small church, a you know, Bible study or whatever. I've been a part of all varying sized groups where I've experienced, I've been on the other side of something that was not Christ-like. You're like, and it can cause, if you don't have your faith rooted in Jesus, it can cause this this crisis inside of you, a faith crisis inside of you. And so, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier was um, the purity movement, right? The the purity culture. And I was very much a part of that as well. Grew up in the purity culture, um, valued it, you know, and yet have also seen at the very, on the, on the backside of it, some of the things that you're explaining about, um, uh, some of the, the the adverse effects of it as well, and I'm I'm curious if you can kind of critique it a little bit more. You know what what did you see were the benefits of it? What 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 were the adverse consequences of it as well? You know how can like let's just kind of put that on the shelf for a second and and just with a critical eye go what. What's the heart behind that, and and what would be if Jesus were to infuse His heart into this like purity culture type thing? What would what would Jesus's heart look like? Can, I'm curious if you can kind of shape that a little bit. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time this past year writing about this and talking about this, and it's interesting because the purity culture movement was really a response to the sexual revolution of the 70s, and it was a lot of teen pregnancies and a lot of STDs and teens and things that they were trying to make a response to. And so what happened, unfortunately, was there were a lot of good biblical values like waiting until marriage and the benefits of that and um, a lot of just sexual ethics, but they got tied up in a lot of people's personal opinions and ideas. And so it was kind of like any idea or opinion that we deem as it promotes abstinence or it promotes not having sex before you're married, then in any or in any context, not dating this, that, or the other, then we're going to give it a green check mark and say, this is biblical. And so I think we get into this really dangerous territory in politics, in ethics, in any kind of movement when we say, even though this isn't a biblical value, we're going to label it as biblical instead of just calling it what it is. And kind of that process of, again, just separating these things and saying, this can be good, but let's not say that this is from the inspired word of God. If it's not, that's very dangerous. Mm. And so we really moved into this this movement of people's final authorities and the the word that was giving them direction on their relationships and marriages and sexual abstinence and ethics about sexuality was people's books and 
Joshua Harris and all of the, you know, purity DVDs that we watched in youth group and just these, right. these, these things that weren't the Bible because we were really losing sight of scripture because we were promoting this idea. And I think what the idea was, was like we can get people to conform to these values that we have for dating and relationships. And that just doesn't work. You can't make people conform. That just in, in any context, it doesn't work. Even with fear, which people tried, and even with trying to paint this picture that if you follow all the rules, then one day you'll have this perfect marriage one day. And we know that just that's simply not true. And then things like this happen. You experience yeah. abuse and you're like, what happened? I followed all the rules. Why did this happen to me? Yeah, this doesn't fit in the box yeah. of what we've been told to conform I to. I followed yeah, yeah. the three steps. And so right, right. I think that we, to combat this, to get back to, I mean, pure, th- that's the problem is, unfortunately, we're saying we have to throw this out. So we have to throw away purity. And I think we just need to come back to Scripture and get a biblical view of purity and use Scripture as, yeah. as the start, the middle, and the finish, every single part of this, and yeah. really make sure that our values reflect the Bible, the, the overarching picture of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, not just yeah. a couple p- verses that we pick here and there, but reflect Scripture, reflect the values of God, and also that we aren't promoting I don't know, any kind of fear tactics or you have to comply for this or if you do this, then God will reward you with this. But just yeah. actual scripture because we just strayed so far from that. And I think that's what ended up being so harmful. One of the things. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's interesting is like you, it, it's a lot easier, more succinct and quicker to just lay out a bunch of rules or how to's, or this is what you should follow to try to elicit conformity, especially, you know, busy, high octane, you know, leadership cultures where it's like, we're trying to get this job done. We're trying to do this thing. And so it's like, Oh, we got to prevent people from going outside the bounds that could jeopardize this thing that we're doing. And so let's just lay out this, you know, here's the mandates, here's the rules, here's the policies. Right. And I'm not saying that, rules and policy, all that kind of stuff is like completely not helpful at all, but that becomes the easy thing. So it becomes a thing that we default to. The more difficult thing is to research, study, and communicate the heart of God mm. because it, because it feels more nebulous. You can't quite put your like thumb on it as much, right? Like you can't list it out in, in a very easy manual for people. Yeah. And so I think what happened is like what you're saying is that it just became easy to be more pharisaical, which that's exactly what, it, you know, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, what, what they were doing, they were taking the law and out of a, honestly, out of a good heart, it wasn't necessarily out of a bad heart at first. It was like, hey, we want to make sure we don't stray away from these things. It was out of a response to the people of Israel for centuries who had wandered away from God, left their devotion to God and went and worshiped other gods. So this new movement of devotion and obedience came through. And they're like, well, let's do all of these things and make sure that we are strictly adhering to these so we so we don't get close to wandering away from, you know, from God. And then it just it morphed. It began to evolve into forgetting the heart of God. Yeah. I- right? And so then this shame culture ends up being imposed as well. And this like pushing out of and marginalizing and ostracizing. And those are the people that Jesus interacted with. Yeah. Right? And and this is what we're experiencing as well in terms of the purity culture, what you're what you're talking about. And I think when we really focus on conformity and 
and just breaking it down to like we if we follow these regulations then we can make sure that we stay connected to God and I think what we're missing is the transformative power of the gospel and of Jesus because the mm. the reason that we follow these you know certain standards or instructions that God has for us is not because we can work our way towards him or if we follow them then we'll yeah. stay in the pure zone it's because the the Holy Spirit of God is transforming our hearts. Jesus died for our sins and it transforms us and makes us into a new creation. And so that's what compels us and that's what guides us and us submitting to the Holy Spirit of God who leads us into producing good fruit of the Spirit and just and leading us to desire to live a lifestyle that reflects God, but not just a lifestyle, but just like following him with our heart. And I think that's another big part of purity culture that was just totally missed was that when you do a deep dive study of purity in the Bible, it's really usually not about sexuality. A lot of it is about your heart and mm. your mind, because yeah. and we know that all things come from your heart and your mind. And that's what we, I think right. we really need right. to go back and focus on is not just do these good things and you'll be pure. But purity starts in your mind and your heart. And so is your heart and your mind desiring God and desiring to follow him? And is it experiencing that continual transformation from Christ? Yeah. yeah. Man, that's so good. Ugh. Yeah, it all, it all stems from, and this is why Jesus kept pointing back to the heart. You know, it, it's almost, you could almost say like, hey, we don't live for purity. We live from purity. Hmm. Right, we are a new creation, and so what does it look like to continually be transformed, you know, by the renewing of our mind, as Romans twelve says, but be, you know, ever increasingly transformed into the image of Jesus, so that we're living out of that place, and then all of our behavior, our actions, our thoughts, kind of stem from this place of purity, out of a, a heart for God, and so I think that, you know, there are certain like restrictions and rules that I can place on my life because I know that's what stirs my affections more for Jesus. But where we go awry is when we begin to take those restrictions and rules that I've placed on my life, those guardrails around my life, and I begin to impose them on others in an effort to get everybody to conform to those, right? And, and then stamp them with, this is what it means to be godly, right? Well, then people are chasing after that, not chasing after God. And I think that it, yeah, it just really strays away from trusting the Holy Spirit. I think that we're kind of afraid to trust the Holy Spirit sometimes, especially when it's, it's when it's involving like maybe kids or relationships or people that we love. And we're like, oh, I just don't want you to make a mistake. But just like trusting what God (laughs) has given us and saying like, if this, I don't know, if this person is really coming, it's all about them loving Jesus, because if they're trusting the Holy Spirit and submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit and all these things, then we don't have to just worry that this is accidentally going to happen or, you know what I mean? It just comes back to... No, but Carla, it's so much easier to be the Holy Spirit for other people, you know? (laughs) So much easier. (laughs) If I can make other people do what I want to do, my world's a lot easier. Then, Uh, done. And that's that's where abuse comes in, and that's where, you know, why we're sitting here having this conversation today. Um, okay. Here's a question for you. You know, you said that when you were, you were young, you were 16 years old, you, you admitted that you were a little naive. You had, you know, some rose colored glasses about the world and about the church that you, that you had on all of us. I mean, I grew up the same way, very naive and still think I'm a little bit naive to, to certain things. I hear things and as much pain as I've walked through and as much of as I've observed and had conversation with people, I'll hear things. I'm like, wait, seriously? Like how? 
there's no way something like that could happen or someone could do something like that. Right. So it begins to shatter my world a little bit, but I wonder if you could walk us through, you said that there's, there's some red flags that you should have noticed or you should have taken note of, you know, experience doesn't have to be our teacher. We can also learn from other people's experience. I wonder if you can help us learn whether it's a dating relationship or a work environment, what are some red flags that could indicate abuse or something is going to lead to that? that you wish you would have noticed? I think a big thing that we miss when we talk to, especially teens and young adults about dating is codependency, because I think codependency often turns into, it it can turn into abusive situations, um, even if it's not sexual abuse or physical abuse. And so I think we have to be really aware of helping kids be aware of themselves, but really, especially if you're a parent or someone who's, you know, close with young children and is trying to help, help them, create healthy relationships and live a healthy, godly life, then we have to be really aware of just helping them have an identity that's separate from that person because codependency is when your identities are totally in one another. And so obviously that's a problem in our faith, but that's a really big problem, especially for a child or a young adult who's developing and trying to figure out their identity, which should be in Jesus, but is in another person. And and that's very confusing. And especially when something like abuse occurs. And so it's different in this age of technology because we're seeing less maybe like intimate partner dating or I mean intimate partner violence and intimate partner abuse because Mm -hmm. kids are accessible through a lot of platforms. So we're seeing especially children be abused through platforms like TikTok is major, any kind of social media, um, Instagram, YouTube, anywhere that people can really access children and not just children, young adults and adults as well. But I think that opens a whole nother door of things that we need to look out for. I think for myself, it was a lot of control in the relationship. And to be totally, I want to be as unbiased as I can when I come to this and say that I was very much the kind of person, like I kind of explained legalistic, but also just so concerned about the image of myself to other people. And I didn't want to make other people mad. And so I think that we have to watch out for, especially like your own children, see where they are on the scale of boundaries. Because when we look at a scale of boundaries, we think it's either like you have good boundaries or you're too pushy. You're in people's faces. But there's actually another side to that. It's like really pushy and you're in people's face and you don't care what they think and you're maybe too aggressive. And then there's people in the middle who have good solid boundaries. They know who they are as an individual. And then people on the other side who would do anything to win someone's approval. That's also bad boundaries. And and we don't acknowledge that often. And so people who maybe would overlook um, aggression or, you know, people causing them pain or hurt or different things in order to win someone's approval. And that's where I was. And so I was really not, I was not in a good place to be observing a lot of the things that were happening in the relationship and maybe some pushiness, but I was totally also at the same time really willing to overlook a lot of things because I was searching for love and I was searching for acceptance and I was searching to please another person. And that in no way, in any way for anyone's situation um, says that any kind of abuse is acceptable, but it does put you at more of a risk for that kind of situation. And so we have to be really aware of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I think it comes, it it boils down to like evaluate 
like you said, where, where, where does your identity lie? I mean, where, where's it rooted, you know? Um, and, and I think for, especially the, the young women listening to this, they, they are going to, and have historically been more susceptible to this. Um, you know, we've just seen that as the case that it's mostly, I mean, it's not all, but it, it is mostly young women that are the victims of some kind of sexual abuse or control or narcissistic relationship or something, you know, toxic relationship. Um, and I, I think I just want to encourage as a big brother in Christ to all the young women who are listening to this, you know, um, it's really, as you're saying, Carly, uh, evaluate the, I'm a, I'm a daughter of the King. I'm a child of God, you know, and, and let, let your identity be rooted in that because that can help to shape and gauge the boundaries that you place around your life. So that if you're pressured to, or asked to do something you don't feel comfortable with doing, or that, you know, you know, that it, it's outside of the realm of your relationship with Christ and, and what you have, um, you know, what you have devoted in, in that, then, you're able to step up and say no, or to, you know, advocate for somebody else or whatever, right? You're able to have a voice because you know whose you are. Um, and so that, I mean, I, I appreciate you, you really sharing that this boundaries idea is a really, a really important idea that, that preventing from this codependency, right? We're, we're not to be dependent on anybody except for Christ, Right. We're dependent on him and, and that makes us a, a available and able to serve other people well and love other people well, but it's impossible to love people the way we're called to love people. If we are codependent with them, you know, definitely. if we need them in unhealthy ways. Hmm. Um, okay. So there are folks who are listening to this and, and they have experienced a loved one who has come to them or you know, um, spoken up about abuse in their life. And, and some people are going to, I mean, I have no, I have no doubt that after listening to this conversation, there's going to be somebody who within a week, within two weeks, within a month, somebody's going to come to them and say, Hey, I have experienced abuse. Can you equip us as Jesus people, as listeners of this, who, who maybe we haven't experienced it ourselves, but we want to be a safe space for other people, whether we're leaders of an organization or whether we're just friends, colleagues, peers, how, how do we, how do we respond when someone comes to us with this news? Yeah. Unfortunately, the statistics say that one in three people will experience some type of contact sexual violence in their lifetime. So I think acknowledging that there is a really big problem that we need to address and then really taking the steps. It's a process to understand sexual abuse and really understand what it does to a person and how to help them heal. And so, of course, that's what our whole ministry is devoted to and we want to educate people. But there's also some great organizations like Grace, which is the godly response to abuse in a Christian environment. They can help you set up policies for your organization. Um, But not just that, I just really encourage people that in whatever capacity, if we can help you, great. If we can pass you on to someone else because you don't want to use us, great. I just really want people to get education and information to understand it, but also from a biblical perspective to see what is God's heart for people who are hurting and also what is the actual biblical response to something like abuse and how do we handle it because it's complicated. I think people don't expect it to be always complicated. Like anytime 
especially right. within a church congregation or when a leader abuses someone or when, like in my case, it, you know, we were children. And so it's difficult for people to see that this is, a, a, you know, in their mind, a clean cut situation. Like this is clearly wrong and this is what we do when we follow step A, B, and C. It's very difficult. And the only way to properly navigate that is with the Bible and with scripture and with proper understanding of scripture and the Holy Spirit leading us through that. And so we really have to just devote time to that and really turn to good resources. And I, I just really want to encourage people that if you, I know some people are very critical of secular psychology and using um, licensed therapists. And while that's something I would definitely recommend, I understand that not everybody's on that page. So I just encourage you to really really be um, not overly critical, but just have a good understanding of the curriculum that you're using for counseling people who have been through abuse, make sure that it's trauma-informed. Um, unfortunately, a lot of material like that is not, or it's, it's old, and unfortunately, it doesn't acknowledge things like child sexual abuse properly or rape, and it doesn't call them what they are. And so just really make sure that the resources that you're using are biblical and factually correct. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. What about, um, you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody right now, maybe you're sitting across the table at coffee with someone who has recently experienced or in the past has experienced, but they've not talked about their sexual abuse and, and you're trying to, you want to encourage them in this moment. I know there are so many who are listening to this, that that is their story. Um, as you said, one in three, people, but you know, I mean, it, especially with as many people who are listening to this right now and have walked through pain, I have to imagine it could be even more just because of the, the constituency of the folks who are in our community. And so I just wonder what you would say to that person who's come to you and Carly, I, I, here's my story. How would you encourage them? What, what are some next steps you could tell them? Yeah. I definitely want to just lay out for people, if you're talking to someone who has experienced abuse, there's some really helpful and hurtful things that you can do. So don't press people for details. Don't make them talk about things they don't want to. Just encourage them when they're talking to you. Um, whatever they decide to share, just let them know, like, you are a trusted person. And if you offer to be there for them, like, you know what, you can call me anytime. I'll always be here for you. Please show up for that person because that's something I experienced was having people say that and they did it. And so it's really important that you're there if you offer to be there. Um, just encouraging them that, you know, thank you for telling your story, um, not sharing all of their details with everyone, keeping it confident. And I think personally what I would just reiterate to someone is this is not your fault because that's something that really I really struggled with and really hindered in a lot of ways my understanding my identity in Christ and uh, just a lot of things that shaped me while I was growing up in those next couple of years. And I just, if anyone is listening right now, or um, maybe you could reiterate this to someone, but just please help them understand that like literally this just is not your fault in any way, shape or form. For me, it was a really hard thing to understand because I felt like if I was someone who was valuable or worth taking care of, or if I was smart or pretty or whatever it was, then this person would have taken care of me. And that's not true, but that was my thought process. And so if you're thinking that, I just encourage you to rebuke those thoughts to the pits of hell where they belong in Jesus' name, because that's just not true. And that's 
it's such a lie that can, it is a lie that will root itself so deeply in your heart and your mind and shape so much of what you think about yourself, about others, about Christ, and it's just not true. And so you really have to attack that head on and just understand who you are as an individual in Christ and who you are as someone who is made with value in God's image. And I think we say that all the time and it sometimes feel like it feels like it loses value, but spending time in God's word, understanding what value God gives people inherently that cannot be taken away, that value, it's value that's inherent. So no matter what people say to you or do to you or say about you or what happens to you, your value is not lost. You cannot gain it. You cannot lose it. It's something that's inherently in you because of the way that God created you. And so I think that is just really crucial for people to hold on to when they're walking through this difficult time. That's great. That's so great. Carly, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate how vulnerably you've shared. Um, you know, the, the last thing I, I'd love for you to leave us with, I'm sure over the course of this journey, as you've walked through your own story, healed through that, as well as had conversations with other people, I'm sure you've learned some things about the heart of God for and toward the abused. Could you shed some light on that for us? You know, I mean, you just started talking about that just now and inherently he is, he has endowed us with, with value. We have the image of God that we were created with, which is unique to any other part of God's creation, right? We are, we are unique, but what are some things that you've learned about the heart of God, you know, for the abused? Yeah, I think I was kind of afraid to go to the Old Testament for a long time. I think everyone is like the law is just a lot when you first read it. And just in the, in the past year or so, even more, as I've just really started saying, okay, I want to understand this in the best way that I can. So I want to dig deeply into scripture and get a lot of perspectives and a lot of understanding of historical culture and things that will help me interpret this properly. I've done that a lot too, like things that I was scared to look into, like a lot of laws in Deuteronomy that are regarding sexual abuse and rape and things like that. And actually, the more that I've dug into it, the more that it has helped me understand how much God was protecting women. And we don't understand it because it's hard for us to understand a culture 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago in the Middle East when we live in 2022 in uh, the United States of America. But to have time, just taking time to dig into what that means and what what those laws were in place for. And, like, there's so many complicated things that you have to really take time to study, like polygamy and concubines, and there's a, there's a lot to it. But when you take time to understand that, you see God's heart for making sure that people were dignified as people who resent, represented his image, that they were taken care of, that people were... Um, taking their responsibilities as leaders, as fathers, as brothers, as people in this in this society that was patriarchal, we see that as inherently negative. But when we take time to understand it, we can see that a lot of these family units were supposed to be taking out for each other spiritually, physically, in a lot of different ways. And so that's been really big because we think of the God of the Old Testament as like the mean old guy, and then Jesus is like the new fun guy. And when we really see his character and take time to understand him there apart from our culture. Um, I think it just can grow our love and heart for him and his, our understanding for how he views people and how he desires for us to treat one another. Yeah. 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 It's so good. Every thing about scripture 
if you really dig into the heart of it, it, it points back to a heart of God who loves people. And even the places that seem confusing, right? I would challenge anybody that if you're reading through scripture, you're like, this seems confusing. This seems to show me a different, like the part of a part of God that I, that I don't know if this seems very cruel. This seems very, you know, uh, it all, if you dig into it and you really research it and study it, you see that it's, it's God communicating his heart for people, for his creation and how much he loves us all the way to s- sending his son, wrapping himself in flesh, coming to earth in the form of a baby, walking this earth, continuing to declare God's heart for people, and then dying, ultimately the, the, the ultimate sacrifice, dying for his people, right? Raising again so that his people can walk in freedom. And um, that's the heart of God. And so thank you for demonstrating that with your, your story, Carly. Thank you for being an advocate for people. Um, and for all the, the work that you're doing, you, you truly have taken your, your story of pain and you're, you're turning it around for purpose. And you're helping so many people in that. So thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Why don't you tell us real quick, where can we follow you? Where can we get in touch with you? If people want to find out more about your ministry, find out more about you, know, you where are some places that we can connect with you? Yeah, you can find The Real Truth Ministries at The Real Truth Ministries um, on Instagram and also therealtruthministries.com. And we have a lot of free resources. All the trainings that we provide are completely free. We'll do them over Zoom. We'll come to you. Um, we'll meet you in person, whatever we can do to get you that information. We absolutely will. And it's completely free of cost. So we want to make sure that that's available. And then, um, I'm trying to remember what my Instagram is. I think it's at Carly Ray Cleveland. And I also have a podcast called, uh, ask the question where it's just a lot of that asking, why do we believe this thing? Why do I have these beliefs? And I want to make sure that it's scriptural and here's a lot of people's perspectives. And I just really want to dig deeply into scripture and use it to guide my life because it's like, we just want to say that I have scriptural values, but for me, it's like, I really need to know if I'm going to base my marriage and my life and all the decisions I make on the Bible, I should know what it is. So that's kind of what that is. So yeah, you can follow us there. Yeah, That's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll make sure we'll put all that in the show notes. Um, if you're listening to this on like Apple podcast or something like that, we'll have it right there. Uh, you can also refer to it on this particular page on our website for this episode. If you're watching YouTube right now, I'm going to go order a new light very soon because my life is tripping out. Sorry, Carly. If you're listening on podcast, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Jump over to YouTube and you can see this entire interview with Carly. Uh, thanks so much for spending time with us. We've just, I've really appreciated this conversation. It's stirred me up quite a bit and it's challenged me and I know it's doing the same thing for so many people right now. So thank you for spending time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. What a conversation. Wow. I mean, um, such good stuff. It uh, this is one of those that like stirs up more in me than like mm. than what we were able to really get inside the conversation because I go and yeah. chew on. I'm like, man, this is because anything involving the culture and and how it's been shaped and how it's shaped being shaped for, moving forward mm-hmm. with a lot of things in consideration. Right, that one one of my one of the things my mentor told me. Aubrey is, um, he said, don't live in a reactionary generation. Like pendulum swings happen so often Hmm. that like what one generation does, the next generation will react and go the complete opposite. Interesting. And and so I always try to keep that in mind when I, but again, I was, I was very dogmatic in that like, Hey, from a purity standpoint, don't get 
like, don't get anywhere near the line, right? It was like this right, dogmatic right. thing. And right. even instructing that as a youth pastor and, a, you know, yeah. with people that I had, you know, some kind of influence over, mm-hmm. that this caused me to pause and go, I hadn't considered mm. some of this because I hadn't heard stories coming yeah. out of it where that was in any way right. abused. So I'd like to talk right. about that a little bit. I like, yeah. obviously, I don't think we can come to a solution, but I think right. being able to p- kind of hedge around it. Mm-hmm. Would you bring your experience into this, Aubrey? Mm-hmm. You've got a yeah. lot of different experience with this. And, and obviously yeah, my experience a s- is sensitive story itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my experience is kind of wild because I think, I think, you know, people might be surprised to know, like I, one, I came up in the very early days of purity culture. Like I, right. I put on that like purity ring waits. and yeah, like that, I, I waited. I kissed dating I, goodbye. Well, so I didn't, I wasn't in that stream. Okay, I had friends that were in that, that stream. I dated, okay. but I saved myself for marriage. I wore that purity ring. I gave it to Kevin right. on our wedding night. Kevin right. saved himself for me. And that was a blessing. Like, I don't yeah. regret that. I don't look back on that with shame. I'm so proud yeah. of that decision. Um, now I don't shame anybody who that wasn't their decision, right. but that just for Kevin and I, that's what God called us both to right. separately and then brought us together. And that was a, that's a gift we have for one another. Yeah. yeah um, good. um, and I was a youth pastor back in the day when we would do like purity retreats where like Kevin yeah. and the guys would take the guys and we, me and my best friend, Jen would take the girls and we talked about sexual purity from both ends. And yeah. so this is, this is where I want to say a couple things, I guess I, I, um, I think there is there are very important conversations to have about purity culture, which I'll talk about in just a minute. I also don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater because I do think our sexual purity matters to God and yeah. it matters as a way that we like dignify and honor one another right, and right. not make each other commodities and not think that sexuality is just this like platter you can choose from whenever you feel like like there are longings in us that our sexuality leads to ultimately that longing is to be known to have companionship to have belonging we ultimately are only met and found in jesus but then i do think god designed us for one sexual partner for life because of the intimacy so that's so i i actually am pretty like firm in my belief that like sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. God, yeah. That's the biblical view of, of sexuality. Right. That said, I know that the, the horrific things about purity culture, um, which I think I was blind to as well, Davies, yeah. even as a leader, even as a woman, um, were that the, the girl was the gateway, meaning she was in charge of guarding her brother's sexuality. So it was up to her to say no. And there, and as I have thought back on that, even my own like dating experiences as a young girl, my Christian brothers would try, 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 try everything that they could. And it was always my job to be like, no, the line stops there. And never once did I date a guy until Kevin that was concerned with, I want to honor you. It was yeah. always how far can I push? How far will she let me go? Wow. It was and it was my job to like carry the weight of that. Mm. And what we have seen yeah. so horribly is that because women were made to be like the gatekeepers <laughs> of their brother's sexuality instead of mutually transforming right, right. sexuality together, right? Or mutually yeah. transforming purity together, that there was so much dangerous, horrific sexual abuse in the church. And I mean, from pastors, I mean, from, you know, and, and, and 
I'll let you talk in just a minute, I promise. Oh, I like this. Yeah, I think the good. hard part, too, Davies, we're talking about the, the SBC news coming mm-hmm. out and all of the horrific sexual... I came to Christ in a Southern Baptist church. Where, here's where I'm wrestling right now. Those were the same pastors, leaders, that yeah. my whole life have told me that a godly woman is this submissive woman. And I understand they're taking that language from Ephesians. What they never talked about was... Ephesians 4.21, we are to be mutually submissive to one another. That never, I just didn't even get mentioned. But then it feels like now, looking back, they were using this quote-unquote biblical womanhood submission, submissive woman, as grooming to get away with whatever sexual perversion they wanted to. Right. That's what it feels like. After you see this whole list, you're like, man, wow, hold on a second. So... It's hard to unravel purity culture from the abuse, right? Right. At the same time, I do think God has a beautiful vision for sexuality that if we could just get it right, then men and women can experience that. Uh, But it's like there's a whole lot of healing that needs to be done. But I don't think the answer, Davey, to talk about the pendulum swing is just to be like, we can do whatever we want sexually. God doesn't care. I don't think that's true either. Which, to, to give a qualifier... That's certainly not what Carly. Was no, saying not at all. Not at all. What right? she's That's saying. not yeah. at all what yeah. she was saying. Nope. Um, nope. She was just bringing to light, like, "Hey, have we thought about it from this perspective? Because yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. in a lot of ways a victim mm. of this being, mm-hmm. this being communicated in such a way that it became oppressive to where we like we totally. were not able to come forward about mm. any kind of you know sexual misconduct or yeah. sin or whatever, right? Like, yeah, if and 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 so that's where it got really toxic is yeah. that she, she didn't feel able to come forward and then she, mm. you know she became you know abused um from someone who mm. was who was lying and gaslighting uh, uh, you know th- through all of this and so just to save Uh-oh. face or save reputation yeah. and so yeah. um I'm I'm with you Aubrey this is a very nuanced conversation but I do um 100% like the I think I think our sexuality is a very spiritual thing. Yeah. I know that's to be true. I think there are so many instances in scripture where we see an unraveling and untangling of our soul when um we go outside of the the bounds that God gave yeah. us sex to to operate into. Yeah. And you know, we can see this with with King David. We can see mm-hmm. this with Samson. We can see this mm-hmm. with all of these great prolific leaders mm-hmm. who decided to chase that appetite that you're right was is God given. It's a God given appetite, but yep. it's not to terminate on itself. It's to terminate yeah. in worship, right? Yeah. Which yeah. Any any gift that God gives us, the the created thing that He gives us, whether it's you know, tangible or intangible, mm-hmm. you know, sexual desire being an intangible created thing, mm-hmm. um, which I'll pause for a second. And I say this as a joke, but, but I need you to like God created sex, right? He didn't like yeah, touch right. Adam and Eve right. in the garden. You know, yep. it wasn't like this, oh man, what are you doing? Get a room kind of thing. It wasn't that right. it, like he created, and it's a beautiful thing, but he said, Hey, it's going to be beautiful as long as it's within the confines of, of, of my way of doing things, which mm-hmm. is, as you've already stated, this this lifelong monogamous relationship and um in the context of marriage and so it's like yeah. hey you, you know um the the thing that we can we, we can all of a sudden begin to let that get really diluted yeah if we you know if we don't f- plant our feet firmly in that 
Mm-hmm. But then I think the question is, is how are we communicating that then yeah, with exactly. the people that are around us that we're, yeah. that we're influencing, if, especially if you have a mantle or a platform of leadership, mm-hmm. how are we communicating that in such a way that invites pe- people who have, I mean, probably everybody listening to this on, oh, okay, not probably everyone listening to this, including us on some level have sinned and fall short, fallen short in totally. this area. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so how do we in, create spaces where we can invite people to openly confess mm-hmm. and, and be open with the struggle of this mm-hmm. and not suppress it in such a way that it just continues to fester in the dark yeah. and grow and become yeah. this beast or this monster that now is uncontrollable, Yeah, which is the reality of any of our appetites, right? Mm. So God created this appetite for us so that it terminates in worship, so that we, you yep. know, with, 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 with me and my wife, as we are sexually intimate, yep. now we're like, man, God, this is just a taste of the mm-hmm. intimacy, the satisfa- the soul-level satisfaction that we receive in you fully and yep. finally one day in Christ. And so we yep. get kind of that glimpse of heaven and it should terminate in worship. Yep. And, um, and then, you know, the way that we create those environments should, sh- you know, as we're teaching our kids and as we're... It should invite that space where it's like, hey, if we fail and we fall in this area, we need to have a safe space to come forward and talk about this Yeah, yeah. because we are pursuing and desiring purity. Pursuing purity is not a bad thing, right? The, the idea of that is a great thing, mm-hmm. right? And purity on all fronts. And that's what Carly was saying is purity on all fronts. That's it. Right? Like, yeah. How is our, how do we, it is God's will that we are sanctified. That's what scripture yeah. says in first Thessalonians yeah. it is God's will that we are sanctified. Right. People are like, what's God's will for my life? Well, here's, here's one that's stated explicitly in scripture that we become holy. Yeah. That we become pure, that we become more like the image and the person of Jesus. That's who right. Is that's exactly holistically right. pure. Right. Yes. But when we fall short, not if, but when we fall short, where is that space for us to, yeah. to confess, yeah. to acknowledge that, right. to heal from it, to dig down deep into those root issues and go, why, why am I wanting mm-hmm. to step outside of the bounds of this? Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the identity issue that's happening here? What's mm-hmm. the, what's the piece that uh, I'm lacking and I'm trying to find that and satisfy that in a created thing rather mm-hmm. than the creator himself. And, um, so anyways, that's, that's kind of the talk around. I think what happened in me is cause I was on the front lines too with like, yep. almost to the extent of like, you know, you know, they, we joke around about the, you, you, you get like the, the line and the spectrum of like how, how as a youth pastor, you're <laughs> instructing how far is too far. Right. It's like, right, well, you right. need to just stay as far away as far away from that line as possible as you possibly yeah. can. Yeah. Some of that was just easy. Cause it's like, guys, especially when I, as I'm instructing young men, yeah. I'm like, Guys, you don't want to mess with this, right? Right, right, right. And there's some merit to that, right? As right. Song of Solomon says, don't arouse yes. desire before it is is appropriate to mm-hmm. do so. Um, and and yet, if we just kind of land this black and white dogmatic mm-hmm. line without coloring it with the why and the mm-hmm. appeal to, hey, here's what happens when we mm-hmm. are pursuing purity. Here's what our soul finds in satisfaction when we mm-hmm. are pursuing purity then of course it can lead to this really uh, toxic, just uh, oppressive type culture. Right. You know? and, and 
and uh, somehow in so doing like you were saying we, we didn't we didn't create a space for people who were struggling sexually even struggling with their own sexual attractions who they're right. attracted to we right. didn't create a space to be like oh yeah that's normal we're all sexually broken like yeah. we all need Jesus to transform our sexuality like we didn't we we haven't created a great space for that in the church yeah. at all to even one i think sometimes admit like we're sexual yeah one like, right. can we even say that in the church? Yeah. And yeah. then two, that like our sexuality is broken and we yeah. all just need, again, this is where mm -hmm. I go back to mutual transforming. Like, can we together be moving towards Christ as a church, even yeah. in this area? But I don't know. I mean, there's got to be, these seem like they're conversations around tables and not necessarily from yeah. the pulpit, or at least they're going to start it, here and then move there. You know, it's true. It's almost like the the pulpit has to ask the tough questions and say, mm -hmm. you guys need to chew on this. Okay. Let's paint yeah. the picture for what, what does God desire for us? Yeah. And even in falling short of his ways, how do we live in that space? How do we like yeah. operate that? How do we pursue purity? How do we pursue holiness? Yeah. Because on some level, I'll just be honest with you. There was a lot of, um, uh, probably, probably guilt driven emotions that kept me from doing things that now I look back and I go, I'm really mm -hmm. glad I didn't do that. Sure. Because I felt like, I felt um, almost like there was this like looking over my shoulder of totally. whoever was teaching yeah. me purity, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't want to, yeah. you know what I mean? And so right. now I'm like, that. my driving motivation was not, mm, I want to like worship, right? worship him right. and my sexuality. It right. was like, I don't want to get busted. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want <laughs> to get outed. I don't want to get, you know? Mine was like, I don't want to get pregnant. I don't want to yeah. get an STD. Like those were the things I was worried about. And I'm like, on some not level, I mean, God. if we're really on, like I'm going on some level, not 100%, this is all nuance, yeah. but on yeah. some level in a brain that is not completely formed, right? If we're talking about teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. the, the prefrontal cortex, the decision-making wisdom mm -hmm. side of our brain is not completely formed. All right. Right. On some level, is that not good? I mean, it worked for me. <laughs> right. But then I also understand where Carly's coming from and where some uh, so many other victims of this are coming from, where it's like, hey, we yeah, need to reconsider and we need to yeah. we need to think about this a little bit more. We need yeah. to like get under the belly of it instead of just taking the easy way out and saying, here's the black That's and white. Right. Here's the rules. No purple. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean, like get right. Yeah. The p blue, pink, the whole thing. Yes. Oh, just yeah. deal with it. Like it's like it's yes. And mm. that's what it feels mm. like. It feels like these conversations are yes. And. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think especially like going back to Carly is especially, I mean, you can, you and I can sort of like laugh about this, but especially right. for those in church leadership, yeah. um, especially the victims of those, oh my you goodness, know, yeah. wolves in shepherd's clothing, mm -hmm. like that, a, a new day needs to come around this yeah. conversation oh, period. And, and some repentance needs to come around this conversation for sure. And, and maybe those are not mutually exclusive in the yeah. sense of, yeah. right? Like maybe it's, it's more, more the root issue is the motivations of the leaders mm. and the, yeah. the, 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 um, spiritual sanctifying intimacy of that leader. Like, mm -hmm. like, where are you as a leader? Are mm -hmm. you, are you communing with Jesus? Are you laid bare before him? Are your, the, right. the motivations of your heart? Right. Bared before Jesus right. as you're stepping into the pulpit or as you're stepping into the platform, or as you're stepping into the small yeah. group or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, I think that's where we all need to let the gospel, mm. you know, wash over our hearts. Yeah. And go, 
you know, the, where's the motivation and all this? That sorry, that's long. That's a long time. We could we could have a whole pod. We like could have whole, a whole podcast episode. We might have to pod, make a note no, to a come whole back podcast. to this podcast. Aubrey, that's probably on this, true. right? We it's like it, a spinoff of nothing is wasted and talk about go. some of these yep, issues. That would be a good um, one for sure. Man, wow. Sorry, guys. We went really long on that, but I think that's a really important conversation for yeah, all of us. Yeah, thanks for we hanging in. Let us know what you think for sure. We'd, yeah. lo- we'd love to hear from you on this topic for sure. Yep. In fact, I'll say this. Let us know what you think on the community platform. We want to oh, invite yeah. you to come and join us on the community platform. Aubrey just did a master class on there. That was, was so incredible. fun. Um, and we have master classes we offer from our certified coaches and some other voices and nothing is wasted. We offer them once a month. And so it's a great thing to be a part of one of many things on our community platform, but we're always trying to, at nothing is wasted ministries, trying to help you partner with God to take back your story. Yep. We believe there's healing, there's redemption for your story. No matter what you've gone through, we believe God wants to intersect and interject and intervene in that story to bring Ooh, it about. That was good, Davey. All those like intersect, that? interject, <laughs> intervene. I've never heard that. That was a good one. Yeah, that's good. And he wants to bring about a beautiful story. No matter, again, no matter what you, you could, maybe you can't see it right now, but that's what we're mm. here to do to help you as right. you're, as you're following after Jesus in the middle of your valley so that one day you're out of this valley. Yeah. And you're moving through and you're you're helping other people in the midst of their valleys on purpose and on mission. So go connect with us, nothingiswasted.com, particularly connect to the community platform. And here's what I'd love to ask you. Ask some questions on the community platform. There are other people there. Put a post there. Ask some questions. There are other people there who would love to answer those questions. I've seen some threads happening and... Aubrey and I want to discuss some of those on the podcast. Some of the oh, questions. Oh, I love that. We want yeah, to bring some great. of that out and go, hey, here was a question that was asked on the community platform. And then Aubrey and I can kind of wrestle with it, chew on it. Um, and, and then, you know, um, that's good. Let you That'll guys chew on it a little bit more. I think it'll be good. So nothingiswasted.com. Yeah. And you can go see all the resources we have available for you. Hey, we also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can find his music wherever it is you download your music. And we also want to invite you to engage with us on social media. We are at Davy Blackburn, at Obsamp, at Nothing is Wasted Ministries. Ministries and that's right. uh, we love, we love connecting with you there. And then Davy, next week, having a conversation with Chris and Steph Teague. It's going to be a good one. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of your conversation with them. The lie that I started to hear was, well, you would be happy if you weren't married anymore. Because like that was the linchpin, I guess, that I needed to believe was the the problem. Not that I'm separated, not that I'm not known Fully, it's it's that I'm being held back in some way, and so I believe that lie, and that led me to a night in January. I could talk forever. Uh, please interrupt me, someone. Uh, but that led me to <laughs> yeah. in 2010. In 2010, yeah. that led me to a night of everything coming to a head. You know, I I decided I decided that um, I didn't want to be married anymore, and that all surfaced uh, in 14 words. Um, truthfully that I share like it was 14 words out of my mouth Um, right before we had dinner with Steph's family I said hey can we talk Uh, I don't believe in God anymore and I don't want to be married anymore 